Welcome to episode 292 of The Sleeper and the Bust. It is December 10th, and I am here fresh off of his winter meetings trip with Eno Saris. Eno, how's it going, man? Everything is good. My liver is recovered. <laughs> I, I don't know, man. I, that's probably going to take at least another week to say it's fully recovered. It, it's it's back out there playing. It's in game playing condition, but I don't know if it's if it's fully recovered. But I'm glad, <laughs> glad you had a good time. Um, plenty of moves to talk about since we last convened. Obviously, the last time was kind of a half episode where we talked about David Price with both you and Jason. Tons of moves since then. We're just going to go pretty much in chronological order. Some of the ones that are on the same day, they might not be in the technical order. If you remember the order top to bottom as a listener, you got bigger problems than, than, than me getting one out of place. So these are in general order. We're going to talk about the signings and the trades. And, you know, I got to get your thoughts on all these and how the fantasy landscape is changing. We're going to start with a little, uh, a couple small ones. We'll get into the big ones. But uh, under the radar move, not really talked about. Plus, it was one of about 412 trades that Jerry DePoto has made or moves that he's made. And it's the signing of Nori Aoki to be in the outfield for the Mariners. Mm-hmm. What did you think when you saw that? You got to watch him for a year out, out by the bay, only played 93 games for the Giants. But, you know was his usual slightly above average self. Uh, but again, for a limited playing time, going to be 34 this year. What do you think of Nori Aoki out in Seattle? It, I think he's a really interesting guy because, you know, I, I even asked Bobby Evans, the DM for the for the uh, Giants, why he let a guy go that had value and was on uh, a contract that, that basically reflected that value because – you know, Aoki was under uh, contract with the Giants for 5.5 million. They just they declined the option. They had to spend 700 thousand to decline the option, and he went and signed with the Mariners for 5.5 million. So you know, they obviously had him at market value. And Evans had a couple of things to say. Um, you know, and some of them were about flexibility and stuff in the bike. Like if we hold on to Aoki, we want to upgrade our outfield. And if we hold on to Aoki while we're doing that. You know, all the other teams are filling their needs, and we could end up at the end of the offseason with, you know, an extra Aoki, basically. Like, a, sure. with, you know, basically a game of musical chairs where we didn't uh, didn't send them out in time. So that was uh, kind of believable, except that now, of course, they're talking about upgrading the uh, starting pitch, starting pitching over the outfield. And is it really so bad for the Giants to risk five million dollars um, on the chance that they might not have another uh, choice? So you know, I, I come back to the fact that you watch Aoki's numbers, and every year he plays he plays fewer, um, plays less. Yeah, that's true. And, and again, ninety three games uh, just last year, going to be thirty four. Doesn't have a standout tool fantasy-wise. You talk about another number that's just kind of steadily going down. Stole 30 bases that first year with Milwaukee, then 20, then 17, then 14. We'll take double-digit stolen bases because they were a lot more scarce last year, and we'll see if that continues again in 2016. So we'll take those, and in an OBP league, he certainly doesn't hurt himself. He's a good average and OBP guy, so regardless of your league format, he plays pretty well there. But there's not a ton of fantasy value in Nori Aoki. Uh, as is, what do you think of him possibly leading off for the uh, for the Mariners, though? Because that's currently where Roster Resource has him slotted in. It makes sense. You know, and I guess, 
you don't know if they're done or not. I mean, that's the one thing. Because if you look at their outfield situation right now, Seth Smith, uh, Franklin Gutierrez, and Nori Aoki are, are, are sharing the, the corner outfield spots. Okay. But um, if they made an addition to the outfield, which is still possible, there's decent outfielders. I mean, none of the big outfielders signed. No, you know? no, and not only that, I would put nothing past Depoto to suggest he's done. He can make four more trades, and I'm still not going to say he's done. Right, like he's trying to make he's trying to make his mark. He's the new Preller, and if there's a and and it seems so natural to put a platoon together of Seth Smith and Norioki, you know, like it just that's like a super cheap, probably league average style production uh, from from a corner outfield slot. Where there's some flexibility too, where you know Franklin Gutierrez is your defensive uh, backup, and Ioki you can play on days when you want defense more. Or you see something in the way he hits because he definitely hits in a certain way. I mean, he's a you no know doubt. everything's everything's the opposite field. Everything's on the ground. Everything's in play. No They're platoon pro- split either. So for Aoki yeah. being a lefty and Seth Smith being a lefty, you could actually do Aoki versus lefties, Seth Smith against the righties. But then you do have that right-handed bat in Franklin Gutierrez who can crush lefties. The only reason that he probably doesn't figure for a more prominent role is because they can't have any confidence in health right now. It, it, it's kind of a day-to-day thing uh, with Gutierrez because of some of the severe health problems that he's dealt with. And you know, the last time he's played more than 60 games was uh, 2011. When he played 92. So it's been a long yeah, time so, since we've seen anything close I mean, it, to a full season. It looks like Aoki's got a full-time role, which would make him, I think, a, a, a really good AL only pickup. But, you know, that's for later in the season when, you, when you're when you sure that they haven't added and they're not talking about, you know, Jesus Montero being a, you know, a starting DH or whatever, you know, Certainly. Nelson Cruz playing the outfield or whatever. So there's, there's definitely... Um, it looks good now, but I would say there's a, there's a significant amount of risk just because he's so like borderline in so many different ways, and I just feel like um, you know the way that teams are treating him. And that was the that was the last part of what Evan said. He said, you know, yeah, I might have him at value, but a guy like that on a five and a half million dollar deal, I'd have to actually eat money off Some of that it. deal. To, yeah. to send them out. So now we're talking about what am I going to get for a, like a one win player that I've eaten, you know, $3 million out of their contract. So that, that uh, last part's definitely fair because he just doesn't seem to carry a ton of value in the market. And you understand he's, he's 34. So, mm-hmm. uh, that, that's Aoki. Let's stick with this same team here because they, again, I mentioned they've been making moves. This is a trade out though. Uh, they got rid of Mark Trumbo. And in fact, there was a lot of first base musical chairs, with the uh, with, with the Mariners, you know, when we were down in Phoenix, they traded Logan Morrison, who was a first base option. Then they moved Mark Trumbo. They moved him over to Baltimore and they got Steve Clevenger back in uh, in Seattle. I'm not really that interested. CJ uh, Riefenhauser also went with Trumbo. The, the focus here for fantasy is Trumbo in Baltimore. Now, we know as of last night, this morning, uh, the, the Orioles were chasing Chris Davis pretty hard, putting up a pretty good offer. But he wants eight two hundred mil, and apparently they pulled off their other offer, uh, and, and it's not working. So that's why they have this backup plan here of Trumbo, who can play the same kind of positions that Chris Davis would, whether it's first, DH, or go fake it in the outfield. What do you think of Mark Trumbo as a Baltimore Oriole? 
he he's an interesting guy because I've talked to him a, a lot of times since I've been in the clubhouse since 2013. He's a nice guy. He likes uh, I don't know I don't know if I'd call it heavy metal, but he likes like uh, you know good like hard rock. What do you even call things anymore? I don't know. I guess heavy That's metal. That's the thing. They have all got so many different subgenres. Yeah. We, we get your point. Well, let's 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 make it clear for anyone who knows productive outs and and yeah. the uh, Ian Miller and Riley Breckenridge, the music that they play. Riley Breckenridge is actually a, a real life friend, and, and by extension, then so is uh, so is Ian Miller with Trumbo. So he's right. very much into that kind of music. That's how they got linked up. Uh, Riley was part of a band called Thrice. They have a band together, the two of them, uh, with, with some other guys, I believe, called Puig Destroyer. So that kind of heavy metal, I think, is kind of the, probably the right term. It's close enough, but it gives you that point. Crash. Um, How's that going to help him in Baltimore, though? Well, that music. No, no. I, I, what I'm saying. Oh, I'm I've talked because of that. I've talked to him and um, uh, and developed a friendship with him. And my my sense is, you know, there was a one year where he almost had a league average walk rate, and that was the first year I started talking to him in 2013. And he that was when he made a, a real uh, concerted effort not to not to swing. And what happened was he also had his worst strikeout rate because, you know, I think he's the type of player that uh, doesn't discern balls and strikes that amazingly. And so if he's just going to not swing, that means he's also going to put himself into two strike counts exactly. and get into strikeouts more often. So I do think the more free-swinging version of him is, is more likely to be more productive for just the type of skill set he has. And he's kind of, you know, since that day, he's become more of a free-swinger. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that's probably good for him. The so he's never going to be a good OBP asset, and um, the other thing that that I kind of garnered from that discussion was that he's a little bit more intuitive in terms of how he approaches things, and he learns a lot about uh, pitchers and stuff just from from facing them. So I, I think that he knows a lot more about American League pitchers than he knows about National League pitchers, and. Um, you know, I think, you know, if you look at his partial seasons last year, you're splitting the season in, in uh, thirds, so maybe you don't want to gain too much from it. But I think he did decently uh, with Seattle, and though the park probably stole some power and this new park is going to uh, give it back to him, I don't see why he can't hit 250 with 30 homers like Steamer suggests he can. With, like, you know, a tiny bit of upside beyond. We didn't see that upside in Arizona necessarily, Um you know, in terms of power, but, you know, now we're pairing him with the league he's comfortable with and the players, he, the pitchers he knows and a good ballpark. So I, I know I don't want to like uh, get back into the problem that we had when he went to Arizona and be like, oh, he's going to hit 40 homers, but yeah. uh, he's only 29. And this is, this is another good park for him. Probably the best park. So can we get back to 30 homers for, for Trumbo? I think so. I mean, he's projected for 30, so that doesn't seem like a crazy thing to say. The The question, of course, is does he hold on to a spot on the depth chart and uh, what happens the rest of the way with the Orioles? But I think even if they sign Chris Davis, I mean... Oh, yeah. Uh, he, he'd still be fine because they've got... They've got holes right now. They slot roster resource slots Trumbo in that DH, which still leaves first base for Christian Walker and uh, the corners with Henry Yerudia and LJ Hose. Like they could totally yeah. get back oh, in on I'm Davis. Still mixed, amazingly. Um, so yeah, they they have a lot of uh, places to fill, and, and Trumbo can help them 
like hopefully not in the outfield, but um, uh, maybe. So uh, yeah, I think uh, I think he's he's I think he's become more valuable with this move. I mean, he's not. That's he's fair. Not, I agree. Yeah. All right. Let's let's talk about John Lackey. He signed up with the Cubs on a two-year, I think, thirty-six million dollar deal. Obviously, being older. Uh, you know, he's not going to get some major long-term deal, even coming off of a fantastic season. I'd say this is actually two years, 32 mil. That's a pretty good deal for a 37 year old, uh, shifting from one rival to the other, you know, from St. Louis to the Cubs. That's kind of interesting. What do you think of Lackey to the Cubs now to, uh, back Arietta and Lester atop that rotation? You know, Lackey's an interesting cat because he doesn't have, uh, any, one thing that you would sort of gravitate towards is, oh, he's a good strikeout guy. Well, kind of average or worse. And, you know, oh, then he must be a ground ball guy. Well, it's a little bit above average, but it's not the kind of stuff where you would you start seeing residual benefits. It's not the 50, 55% ground ball rates. And I think a lot of it's built on good command. Um, and I don't know. Devil's He's just magic. good. Like he knows how to pitch. I mean, there is something to be said for being a pitcher. Um, with the you know, in quotes, the guy who knows how to pitch doesn't have overpowering stuff. Obviously, has tons of of experience, but he's also not you know working with with uh, 87, 88 Jeff Weaver style. He's still averaging 92, and he's been holding that firmly since 2009. So, I feel like we can get. You know, probably both years would be pretty decent, but just take a look at, at what we're dealing with here. These last three years, they've all been what I feel like you could call good years for Lackey, but 352 ERA, 382, and 277. Obviously, last year uh, was particularly uh, special, but there was some good fortune going his way too. The the 352 and the 382 were done in American in the American League parks for the most part, except for a little stint with St. Louis at the end of 2014. So you don't necessarily have to go all the way back up there, but I think I'm starting my projection for Lackey at, you know, 340 um, and steamers even higher. They're saying 371 at least. You, you want to start mid threes and kind of work from there. If you get anything better, it's gravy. But what you're really paying for is reliable quality innings. Yeah, I think so. I mean, obviously Tommy John means something. Sure. And he missed 2012, and he's out of the honeymoon phase. Um, if if he is going to have a second, if he has a second, frankly, his, his career is probably over. But well, yeah, no, I thought I thought the honeymoon phase was four oh, four years. If he uh, had it in 12, wouldn't it be, it'd be after this year for next year then, right? I remember 400 innings. Oh, okay. Well, in that case, if if it's if it's an innings count, then he's definitely out of it. Yeah, uh, because so. he's logged 605 innings since. I mean, here's the thing. You can look at the numbers and, and see how they trend all you want. Once you get to the mid-30s, I don't think that matters as much because it can go in a second with the with yeah. the, with the the upper-age players. Like, you just see it. Um, you know, Joe Nathan, when the Tigers got him, he, had, he was coming off two great years. Didn't look like he was going to be done. Although at least have a, a decent – a reliever at the very worst, if not, you know, pr a prime closer. And he was, he was utter garbage. You know, when you start getting to 35, the drop-off doesn't have to be, you know, gradual. It can just happen. So that's going to be the risk that you take with Lackey. But, you know, if he stays upright, I, I, I think, uh, I think he'll be a fine serviceable middle rotation. Nobody's going to be wowed when you make the pick in the draft room. 
Yeah, uh, he's the weird thing is actually he's been putting on velocity. I mean, this uh, this year's velocity was his best. Well, I guess he started out 2014 like that. Yeah, I guess you know it's been really notable that he's he's managed to hold on to that out uh, uh, that velocity, yeah, and also he's a, he's one of your guys with uh, without a changeup. You know, he's a he's a fastball slider curve guy that uh, that's that's gone gotten there without uh, without. I mean, he throws a changeup like two percent of the time. So yeah, I I think he'll be fine. Uh, you're not gonna feel great about taking him. You're gonna be like, oh, he's there. I'll take John Lackey. Fine. Next guy, there's going to be some folks who aren't going to take him no matter what. They got burned last year, and they're not going back to the well. I'm not one of those guys because I really love this fit. Jeff Samarja out in San Francisco for a five-year, $90 million deal. Um, again, was a disaster last year. There are really no two ways around it. You can blame the defense for some of it if you want, but it's a tough sell to really uh, – put a lot of it on outside factors for him. He just had a bad year, gave up an AL high, uh, 29 homers, gave up a, a major league high, 228 hits. Again, some of that could be the D, but for the most part, he just didn't pitch well. Uh, the, the one good thing that he really did was was pitch all year, 214 innings for Samarja. What do you think of a 31-year-old Shark pitching out in San, San Francisco? You know, he threw that cutter a lot more. That's the biggest thing that I see is the difference, um, you know, in terms of what he did. His his cutter usage almost doubled, and he took it away from some of his uh, fastball. So he kind of his overall, if you call the cutter a fastball, his overall fastball mix was about the same as as it had been in the past. But um, there was more cutters than the other things, and it's just a weird decision to make because the cutter does give him uh, more swinging strikes, but in terms of like isolated power against, uh, they they did pretty well against his his fastballs last year and his cutter and his cutter for his career has been given up about a 200 ISO. So, you know, it's uh, it's a pitch that gives up homers, and it's not necessarily I think uh, you know it gives up the most homers of uh, of his fastballs. It actually gives up the most homers of any of his pitches. So I don't know why he he went to it more, or or if it, the reason it just has is given up more homers is because he used it more when he was a White Sox, and um, you know he just gave up homers there, and not necessarily wouldn't give up those same amount of homers in different parks. So and, but and we've, that, we've 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 seen over his career that he gives up too many homers, and even though his walk rates have been okay, I I subscribe it to a lack of command sometimes. That park was a concern for some folks last year. It wasn't a concern that I shared. Uh, I thought I thought he could overcome it, but but he did not. That definitely does play a role, and it's hard to get a better uh, park upgrade than going from U.S. Cellular to AT&T Park, especially if you want to stay within the cell phone named family uh, <laughs> of parks. I don't think you can get a better move as a pitcher than, than, than going out from Chicago out to the Bay. So I do really like that for him. Um, I love that he's going to have that infield defense behind him as well. Again, Brandon Crawford is exemplary for sure. And even if the other pieces around panic and, and Duffy and Belt at first, even if you don't think they're great, they're all better than their counterparts in, in Chicago. So that, those are big upgrades for him, not to mention the fact that, you know, Dave Rigetti has, has a very good, uh, 
reputation for working with pitchers as well. I think this could be a really sharp fit and, and end up maybe not getting back down to that 299 that we saw in a full year in 2014, but getting back into the uh, uh, low threes, I think is, is really doable. Uh, the best part about Samarja for 2016 is he's not going to cost you a lot. Cause again, there is going to be a, a contingent that is just sworn off of him and every league will probably have a couple of those guys. Uh, so you won't even be competing with him with a handful of, uh, of other people in your league that's going to drive his price down, and I'm willing to take a shot. I, I will gamble on Samarja. What about you? Are you, is it somebody you would... I think so because you know a lot of people are going to gravitate towards steamer projections. A lot of people are going to use the the the, the auction calculator, and um, you know they're going to be looking at the same projections as everybody else. And the projections have them. You know, steamer has them at three four eight ERA, one one eight WHIP, That's but. Nice. The strikeout rate is not uh, does not return to the level it was, you know, when he established the three years before as a, as a starting pitcher. So, um, you know, that means that there is a little upside beyond. There's probably uh, a strikeout to a strikeout and a half per nine more upside over totally on top agree. of that. You know, uh, on top of that, and it's not that crazy. It just it could be as much as oh, I'm going to throw the cutter less or. Um, you know, I'm going to really pump that four seamer in there. You know, he's going to be working with Dave Getty, like you said, and there's going to be, you know, and Dave Getty, the, the thing that he, the thing that he, that we've found that he can do, or at least in the past has done is suppress home runs. So, um, you know, that'd be huge. Could be a better the, guy to need it. Of all the fits that you could have, you know, especially also, uh, uh, his, his, his ground balls just went away last year. If he turns him into like a 55% ground ball guy, now you have the upside of having like a 280 type BABIP um, because that's the kind of thing that happens to 55% ground ball guys. And then you might even be able to suppress that home run rate down to, you know, past uh, 0.8 to 0.7.6. You know, and then, you know, then you add in the fact that he could have an eight and a half strikeout rate. Now you're talking about a you know a 305 type uh, ERA and a and a and a one one whip so uh, and that was exciting and to to go with this to pay for this projection because other people are going to look at that projection and say I don't believe it exactly and they, they won't pay and then then there'll be the meat of people who will say well that's his projection I'll pay for that you need to be in that meat uh, plus fifty cents or something not you know not a lot uh, if you if you think that there's a little bit more upside beyond that. Yeah, even if you get aggressive and, and want to be that that first person to, to go for him, it still won't be that high of a price. You know, he went 18th round in a 15th teamer I did in November. Uh, if we redid that draft, I think he'd go a couple rounds higher because of this fit. But even if you're talking again, aggressive guy, what round 13, 14 in a 15 team league, that's that's perfectly fine. Let's stick out. Be outside to be your number two at the end of the year, or number three. Exactly, and that's that's how you win. You know, you got to get the those mid-teens rounders who become, uh, you know, first-round level picks uh, offensively, like an AJ Pollock or frontline starter types. Like uh, I'm trying to think who who were guys that were drafted in that area. Like you know, like Danny Salazar ended up being a pretty pretty big stud, and he didn't cost a lot last year. Uh, yeah. Keiko, no one believed in him, and, and he he jumped up. I think Samarja could be one of those guys who's like really forgotten. You draft him, and he and he rebounds really nicely. So we both like him. Let's stick in the NL West with the biggest move that will be on this list. 
Um, you know, I don't even think the ink was really dry on Samarja when we when we learned that Grinky was going to go to the Arizona Diamondbacks, which was a huge shocker, by the way. Uh, you know, the reports leading up to it were, oh, in fact, I, no, I think I have that reversed. Grinky, uh, Grinky signed, and then the Grinky ink wasn't dry when Samarja was there fallback plan because the last two teams that were allegedly standing for Grinky were the Dodgers and the Giants and then all of a sudden the Diamondbacks come in and make the move and wow crazy crazy move they they put up that huge money 34 mil per year I'll just let you go on this one what did you think when you saw the Grinky deal man well I mean it was obvious that the the Giants were in on him and they wanted him and you know as soon as they found out they didn't get him they went to their second option so um, and I and I was sad because I, I love talking to Granky, and I think that you know having him in in AT and T would lead to some legendary seasons. Oh, and, would have been and killer. You know, would have been there to interview him the whole way through. So um, that was a, a sad day for me, but a happy day for him and his family. And um, I don't see him necessarily struggling so much. He's uh, he, he does do enough ground balls, and he's suppressed home runs for so long in his career that, um, you know, I, I think that in some ways the steamer projection represents almost a worst case scenario because he's almost giving up in the steamer projection. He's almost giving up a home run, uh, per game, which he's only done once in his career. In fact, it'd be the, the, his next home run per nine would be the third worst of his career. Oh, wow. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, he's getting older. That happens to all of us. Sure. And, and he's going to Arizona. That, that's tougher park. Yeah. But, for him to return to kind of the days uh, of his rookie years in terms of home runs per nine, I don't know. He's so different, such a different pitcher now. That changeup is ridiculous. And, um, you know, there were times, some of the, one of the years where he gave up home runs, he was um, in the zone too much, admittedly himself. So he's, he's, he's you know, advanced his, his pitching. And of all the people that might age well, there were a couple injury hiccups. That's the only thing I'd worry about. But in terms of aging well and making the most out of his arsenal, I think that he's going to be really good at it because he's thinking about it all the time. There was one of my favorite stories from the from the winter meetings was um, a story that Vince Gennaro, the uh, Saber head, uh, told. He's, he's Saber president of Saber. He said he was uh, at some sort of uh, a dinner or something, and, and Granky came up and goes, "Hey, you're the Saber dude, right?" <laughs> And, and he said, yeah. And he goes, and this was like two years ago, maybe, or three years ago. He said, can I throw my change up to righties? And, uh, and Vince Gennaro said, uh, well, you know, you can backdoor it maybe. And Granky said, well, I can't, I can't throw it to that side. So he was saying that he can't, can't throw his change up to, to the glove side. So um, and Gennaro said, well, then you better, you better bury it because it's kind of risky. Yeah, you better not hang it right yeah. over the plate then. Yeah, so then uh, I guess uh, a year passes and and Gennaro sees him again. This time it's at the Rolling Gold Glove Gold Glove thing, and and he says, um, Granky says, uh, oh, and actually Gennaro sees Granky and he says, oh well, I guess you figured out that changeup thing. And Granky's like, yeah, whatever. I, I wanted to ask you something. Uh, why is Dallas Keuchel's DRS better than mine? <laughs> <laughs> goes, yeah, whatever. Forget the changeup thing. I'm on to the next thing, dude. Yeah, right. And then, and then uh, uh, he's like, I don't know. I don't. I don't make DRS. It's not by hand, Zach. They don't go through <laughs> assessing the DRS. And uh, so then he, uh, then Nolan Arnold comes up and says, "Well, we need you in cores, man." 
And he said, well, if I did sign with with the Rockies, I'd have a better batting average than you. <laughs> and then Dallas Keuchel walks up and he, and he says, Dallas Keuchel, he says, what about you? You got a good bat? And Dallas is like, I pitch in the American League, man. I got one hit. <laughs> so, uh, I, I, I did feel bad for you when, when it happened because of, you know, you, you were openly putting that out on Twitter, too, that you were pulling for him to go to San Francisco just so that you could speak with him more frequently. <laughs> you had to have been at least somewhat heartened by the fact that it's still an NL West club that's going to come to San Francisco plenty, though. So you still get a, a good share of Granky during the season. It just won't be that uh, everyday kind of thing that you might have had going if you'd been in San Francisco. Yeah, you know, in this case, I think I would I'd go beyond just uh, paying for the projection and hoping for more. I think I would pay for a better projection than that. I mean, just look at his last three years. He hasn't even gotten close to a three ERA in three in the three years he was in L.A. And I, and like that's not a park that plays like super pitcher friendly anymore. So uh, I just think that he's figured out something. He's figured out how to use that changeup against lefties and righties. Uh, he's figured out not to throw, you know, he used to throw the cutter and the slider at the same time and that screwed up his slider. So he's figured out not to do that and just to do the slider. And, uh, he's figured out how to use his mix. Well, he, you know, he's even thinking about pitching inside and outside. Like we, we you know, he, we did an interview about that. So, um, I think he's a, an excellent pitcher. That's probably even going to beat that projection, which, you know, of course the projections not going to be great on the fringes. It's not going to project anybody with a, you know, a two ERA. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so, I mean you, you're just not going to see that. I feel yeah. like so, sometimes these days, like these projection systems get Kershaw under three, you know, they get kind of the very best guys, a couple of them under three, but even that's rare. You don't usually see that. But I agree with you. I think you can pay for more than the 307 and 112 whip projection that's given to Grinky by Steamer. He's just so darn good. He's just really, really good. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, we're, we're, we're Grinky fans. We're on board there. Got to move on. Still have tons of moves to cover. This one's probably as big. I don't know. You can let me know. But Ryan Madsen to Oakland. I mean, in terms of shifting the leagues, shifting the NL uh, for the Granky deal and shifting the AL for the Mad, I can't even keep it up, uh, for the Madsen deal. Now, no, the main reason that we're going to talk about this because we're not talking about every middle reliever, uh, you know, like Mark Lowe for my Tigers. We're not getting into every single one. But I think Madsen has a legitimate shot at closing because – we didn't get the warm and fuzzies out of Doolittle to end last year. So we still don't, you know, I don't know how confident you feel about him going in with health. I'm not even sure that Oakland's that confident because they also signed John Axford, who, you know, whether you like him or not, has closing experience, can fill that role if they get into a situation like they did last year where they had nobody to close. Like you could not figure out what they were going to do once they um, lost Doolittle and then traded Clippard. So that's why we're talking about Madsen. He had a great build back year after missing Two years, excuse me, three, 2012, 13, and 14 did not pitch in the majors after being a beast reliever uh, and, and then closer for Philly in 2011. He's out for three years, comes back like nothing happened, right back on track. Actually, a career best ERA at 213, career best whip at 0.96. The strikeout rate wasn't quite as high as his career best, but it was pretty representative at, at 8.2. You'll take that. It uh, would be on the high end for closers if he closed, but it'd be all right. 35-year-old Ryan Madsen, what kind of chance do you think he has to close in Oakland? You know, Liam Hendricks 
is 95 out of the pen. He got traded. Uh, Jesse Chavez got traded for Liam Hendricks. John Axford is 96. Uh, Ryan Dull has a great slider and a lot of deception. He's an he's a really interesting guy for for your score sheet leagues and your um, and your uh, real deep leagues where you, you might want just a reliever. He's a inter- really interesting guy. He's going to pitch a nice park and he has a, he has a wipeout slider and he throws fifty percent of the time. But that's enough about Ryan Dull. Uh, but the you know Billy Bean actually in our meeting said that you know it seems like every bullpen's got you know mid 90s velocity coming out of every door out of the pen you know every time the door opens so you know he went out and he definitely upgraded the velocity on his pen uh speaking of that Sean Doolittle did finally find velocity at the end of the year I mean he, he right was back in right three and he told me that was because he was rehabbing out of uh, out of the wrong slot, he was rehabbing with his arm sort of at a ninety degree angle, and then when he would go to throw in the games, uh, he was uh, throwing more uh, closer to one hundred and eighty degrees in the elbow. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, you know, so it wasn't the 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 muscles that he had built up for the ninety degree angle weren't being activated in the same way. So he pulled his his oblique, which makes sense if you sort of put your arm out there in that slot. You know, you, you you feel that oblique getting activated, and if you don't build that up, then you can see how um, you might pull that. So he pulled his oblique, talked to the trainers, and figured out, oh, I should be doing these exercises in my arm slot. I talked to somebody at the winter meetings, and they were like, uh, yeah, duh, dude. And he was <laughs> like, if, if, if Sean Doolittle had been a pitcher his whole life, he would have known that. And his trainer should have been on top of it. His trainer probably thought, you know, pitchers know these things, but he's only been a pitcher for like three years now. So that's true. Former first baseman uh, prospect, I believe. Yeah. So maybe, you know, maybe it's just a, you know, a little remnant of being a a position player and not, you know, not, you know, not having been a pitcher his whole life and not being used to definitely not being used to rehabbing as a pitcher. He's never done that before. So that's interesting, uh, by the way, that's really interesting. I don't don't want to say outside chance. He's the incumbent. He's, probably the closer oh he's slotted in right now and like you said he's throwing 94 at the end of the year it, 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 it's not madsen's job i'm just saying he needs to be brought up no, because he's second think, in command yeah i think madsen and hendrix are interesting guys in al only leagues they're guys uh you know in, in deeper leagues or in leagues where you're trying to to get uh, guys on the cheap um you know that might close they're definitely interesting because and especially especially if Doolittle in the spring is coming out at 89.90 again because you know spring velocities are only a tick or two off of of peak velocity and even though people are often say oh don't worry about it that'd be one i'd worry about i'd, I'd say oh uh-oh because you know i don't think Doolittle at 91.92 he's not the kind of guy who has the secondary stuff that's really going to be awesome in 91.92 so except in mlb the show which I love to talk about, as you all know. His slider is unhittable. He was That's like my best reliever good. all year. So if they could, if he could just throw his slider like I can throw his slider, he'd be fine. <laughs> I'll tell you that right now. Uh, let's go back out to Seattle. Uh, we're not done with them by a long shot. Actually, they've only got two more moves on here. But let's talk about one of their other trades, the Wade Miley deal. Uh, Wade Miley and a reliever named Jonathan Arrow, who actually has a, a small touch of intrigue, another one of those big arms who, who could be something, you know, maybe down the line. Not really of intrigue here. They wanted to get Miley. But what they gave up has some intrigue. They traded with Boston, uh, obviously, and, and gave Boston Carson Smith 
and uh, Roannis Elias. So honestly, this one was tough for me. I've I've backed Miley in the past. My one of my bold predictions was him as a top twenty-five starter. LOL at that. Good good call, Paul. Uh, that's why they're called bold predictions. But I, I I've liked Miley in the past. I've seen some things from him that that I do like. But I'm not sure there's a ton of upside anymore. He's going to be 29. He looks like just a solid innings-eating type, which is fine, particularly on the major league landscape. But in the fantasy realm, it's not that great. I did not love this deal for Seattle. I do love Carson Smith. Dave Dombrowski, by the way, now you build a bullpen, Dick. Uh, (laughs) Like, seriously. All of a sudden, bullpen is his number one concern. He's adding studs left and right. They're deep now. What did you think of this deal when you saw it come down? This is this is because the Carson Smith thing is interesting. He he has a really whippy arm, and he um not a, I don't think great delivery. I wouldn't be surprised nope. if if uh, Doug Thorman does not like his delivery. But uh, no, it's it's ugly. And uh, and so I think um, you know I think uh, that that's something to think about. That his velocity was down too. You know, so I I, I I'm a little worried that maybe there's an injury there or who knows. But that almost doesn't matter to me because, personally, I prefer Roanus Elias to. I thought to you did. I, I know you've been an Elias guy in the past, and that's another thing. What is really the difference between those two that you'd have to include Carson Smith? I mean, the only thing that I can think from like the MLB landscape when you're talking about GMs discussing these things that really gives Miley an edge is the fact that he has four you know, uh, 190 plus inning seasons and two of them are 200 plus innings. So I think, I think that's what they're paying for. I mean, I think, I think probably the range of outcomes for Miley is, is, is tighter. You know, it's more likely to be in one band that's, uh, useful. You know, the range sure. of outcomes for Miley are, is probably somewhere between, um, you know, two, two, uh, two to two and a half wins even like it's, he's just like this guy who, He's going to strike out 17% of the guys. He's going to have like a six per nine strikeout rate. Uh, you know, he's going to he's going to have an okay walk rate and get a lot of grounders. Um, you know, it's weird because when you watch him, it's it seems very inconsistent from start to start. But in, then you look up and he's been pretty consistent. You know, for the last four years, kind of a number four guy. So that's yep. another way of putting it. His range of outcomes is. Number four guy. <laughs> Absolutely. Whereas no, I agree. I agree. Elias's range of outcomes are probably, um, you know, almost equal parts uh, reliever, you know, five guy and three guy, you know. And, and you know, he, he's two years younger, so there's, a, you know, a little bit of chance that he, that he improves. Uh, but his command is worse. You know, he gets more swing strike, strikers, uh, but his command is worse. And... Um, you know, I talked to people who totally had the the other way. They said Wade Miley's stuff is better, uh, Wade Miley's command is better, Wade Miley's ground balls are better, and so you had to pay uh, you had to pay Carson Smith to get Wade Miley on top of Elias. But you know, for the Sox, yes. I think it was all kind of almost irrelevant how close these guys are. If they're at all comparable, Elias is the guy who has an option year, yeah. and Miley didn't. So what you, what Elias has now become. I think for the Red Sox is their sixth starter. Twenty-six man, yeah, that guy. He could be up and down, Pawtucket to to Boston a couple times, which is something you know. I think they need honestly because uh, because they they you know they didn't have a place for Miley, and, and it's not you're not going to take a two hundred inning guy like Miley 
and, and make him your loogie. So, uh, no, you know, no, you got to kind of keep that guy in the rotation. And no, I, I totally get it from Boston's side. At least he's going to a better park. Miley is. So from that aspect, maybe he gets, you know, it's going to be his best park ever, but you know, I just don't think a park, the park alone is going to take Miley from the, the low fours, low to mid fours guy that we've seen these past couple of years and turn him into some low threes guy. You know, I mean, maybe if home runs had been his issue, but last year he gave up, you know, 0.8 homers per nine. It wasn't, you know, homers weren't really the issue. The issue is he has an 8.6 career swinging strike rate. He Like, when someone told me that Elias's stuff was mediocre, I was like, an 8.6% swing strike rate is mediocre. Yeah, you're yeah. like, what? what is Miley's then if, if, yeah. if Elias is mediocre? No, I, I totally get that. Um, yeah. We probably so, spent too much time on this trade already, though. I guess, though, the one thing I'll say is that at least Elias is in, like, on the on our depth charts, he's the fifth starter now. Okay. Yeah, I, I was looking at re- roster resource, and they it don't does have let us- yeah, it does let us talk a little bit about the the rotation there in in, in um, Boston because you know you've got Price slotting in at the top, but um, you know beyond that, there's a lot of give and take. You know, Porcello is, is a guy who's going to you know keep his job, and then you know Eduardo Rodriguez has the upside to to kind of pencil in as a three, and then you've got Buckles who's always hurt, uh, Kelly who you know whose role is way up in the air right now. And then Henry Owens as as the young guy who could take the job. So, um, you know, between those three guys, you know, spring is going to be a big deal. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you're going to have to just pay attention to what's happening in spring. You know, options mean that it could be Kelly as the number five if they want to give him one last chance and Elias and Owens go down. I mean, that'll be uh, that'll be a possibility because of of, of roster structures and options and stuff. But um, and the last little thing I want to say about Elias is that I, when I look at his stuff in terms of uh, sort of pitch FX scouting, I still I still see potential. I mean the changeup, the the changeup has 11 inches of arm side run, and uh, drops three inches more than his sinker and uh, four uh, five inches more than his four seam. So the changeup is a really good, is a good pitch by by movement and velocity, and it gets 16% whiffs and the curve. You know, it was a similar thing. It's a big curve at 80 miles an hour. That uh, those are those are things you like to see, and it gets 15% whiff. So, you know, you know, just a little bit better command, and we could be talking about Elias breaking out for them. Even I don't, I, okay. I, I, I guess I vehemently disagree with people who say that Miley's uh, better than Elias. Yeah, I'll, I'll keep I'll, I keep Elias on the radar, dating back to you you talking him up last year. He was a guy that. I didn't really think much of, and you, and you spoke um, almost as equally glowingly last year about him, kept him on the radar, and so I'll keep him on the radar again as maybe a dollar guy uh, in AL only. See what the spring's going to really decide what kind of league you want to take a shot with Elias. If he makes the roster, yeah, you can do the dollar gamble. Obviously, if he doesn't, then he's an AL reserve at best. So we'll, we'll monitor that and obviously talk about it more in the spring. Let's jump over to the Dodgers and their consolation uh, prize to Granky right now. Obviously, he's not expected to <laughs> fill the role. Neither neither is Samarja the same way that was their consolation prize. But they went out and signed Hasashi, Hasashi Iwakuma to kind of fill in as their number two right now. Nobody believes that they're necessarily done. But it's basically Kershaw, Iwakuma, Brett Anderson, Yunjin Ryu, and Alex Wood. That's 
not a great rotation outside of uh, Kershaw. Let's talk about 35-year-old Iwakuma. Issue right now is the innings continue to evaporate, 220, 179, 130. Skills are staying virtually identical. I mean, if you look at, uh, if you just go by FIP, he's been the same guy for the last three years, 344, 325, 374. There's really not too much difference in there. Um, and then the ERA the last two years, 352, 354, that third year it was 266, but that's because he stranded everybody that he let on basically. So we know that he's not that guy. That was just a dream year for, for Iwakuma. He's probably this mid-threes guy. The question is the innings, right? That, is, that, is that your biggest concern with Iwakuma going to the Dodgers? It was, and I, and I said, you know, if they the, the contract pays for itself if they get 300 innings out of him in the next three years. But uh, they did lose a, a qualifying offer uh, pick. So in order to pay for that pick, I think they probably need about 450. But that's still 150 uh, you know, per year, which is kind of what he's basically – what he's, uh, he's actually you know, averaged a little bit more than 150 a year. And uh, you know, I think that's what I would expect. I would, I would take the under on innings projected, give him about 150, which means you know, I think basically uh, like a month on the DL. Yep. Um, but he always finds a way to do it. You know, it's always good when he's in there. There's always like a little bit of rough and, you know, problems right before and after his DL stint. It's always like a blister or a finger or this or that. I mean, it's, there's always something. And, you know, it goes all the way back to a shoulder that, you know, thought people Scared thought. off was, Oakland. You know, and, and he was throwing mid-80s in, in, in Japan. I've told that story a bunch of times. But, yeah. uh I mean, he's obviously uh, better than that, and he's obviously got his career back together. And uh, he, in some ways, he could uh, really love it, the NL. You know, it's one more person to strike out and, you know, weaker lineups. And, you know, he's taken that plus command and that plus splitter and uh, made made a career out of it. So, um, you know, I would just say 150 innings, the rest of the line looks fine to me. Yeah, just just plan for the innings to be missed. You'll have to get some supplemental innings elsewhere. Um, even if his ERA isn't kind of back in the mid-threes again and he doesn't get a boost from the American League, he'll be a whip asset. He's been that throughout his career. The only year he didn't really have a good whip was his in-between starting and relieving debut year back in 2012. He had a 128, but then it's been 101, 105, 106. So Iwakuma will help your whip. And even I, guess, if he, you know, I guess one thing that I would say is that a guy like this might – you know, has a 150 uh, innings cap or, you know, 180 projected and, you know, was 129 last year. This kind of guy is, is a lot better in mixed leagues. You know, you really have to think about him a little bit harder in your, you know, NL only league. It's a great because point because replacing him. Yeah. And you may have to, when he gets hurt, you may have to replace him with somebody, you know, off of the Dodgers' own depth chart. That's how it ha- seems to often work. So you have You're to. Right. Go- go back in and compete with other guys who are also trying to pick up, uh, you know, I don't know, Mike Bolsinger um, or Carlos Frias when they, when they come up. No, that's, that's a great point. He's, he should actually be thought of even a little bit better in mixed leagues. Yeah. Get those good 150 and then dip back into the pool when he gets hurt and, and, and replace him. That that's the story on Iwakuma right now. You just can't plan for a big workload. Next one's another middle reliever. We'll, we'll gloss over him quickly. I'm just kind of bummed that he didn't get, go elsewhere and actually become a closer but Darren O'Day went ahead and re-signed with Baltimore uh, to stick with them and that totally makes sense they've still got that dynamic one-two punch with Britton and O'Day 
but Britain will probably keep the role. So a day will not go somewhere and become a new closer. What did you think of that deal when you saw him re up with Baltimore? Good for him. He's a nice guy. He's got a. He's got a. Not only does he have a unique. It's not a unique, but he doesn't. Have, he has a rare arm slot, and he's uh, kind of fun to watch him. He rock and roll. Um, you know, I, I think uh, he's got that rising submarine fastball, which I think right now is unique in the game and makes him effective against both sides of the plate. And, uh, you know, especially for an 89-mile-an-hour fastball, I think it looks a lot harder than that for a lot of people. Absolutely. And, um, you know, between Britton, O'Day, and Michael Givens, you know, that bullpen is full of guys with really weird – even Chaz Rowe. Chaz Rowe's slider is really interesting. You know, they've got guys that are different. I, it, it's to, to me, it's almost to the point where – you know, it seems like maybe it's on purpose. You know what I mean? Like they yeah. they somehow, you know, figured out that just just be different is almost as important as velocity or anything like that. Different looks, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, we we've heard it a million times. A guy can come out throwing smoke, but if it's if it's straight or you know coming out of the same arm slot, eventually major league hitters will time it. But if you got crazy things happening where, you know, you got O'Day dropping down, you got Britain coming at you from the left side with that, with that bowling ball. Gibbons is a good name. You mentioned, by the way, one of those AL guys, maybe who you spend a dollar on for your last uh, rotation spot. If you don't want some crappy fifth starter and you just want some strikeouts, he had a 33% strikeout rate in 30 innings last year. Uh, that's, that's pretty intriguing. I like getting one of those types uh, you know, try to find the next O'Day because now the now those the studs middle relievers like like an O'Day they go for six seven bucks in your AL only. You want to find the next one who only costs you a buck, and and Givens could be one of those. So good name on on that one. Let's uh, let's stay in the AL East and talk about a trade that the Yankees made by getting Starlin Castro. This was an interesting deal. I thought kind of a win-win. Uh, Starlin Castro for Adam Warren. I really like it for both sides. I think both players are pretty intriguing. Although for our our purposes, though, Castro really stands out as the as the fantasy interest only because I don't think that Miller will get a or excuse me not Miller uh, Warren will get a role that is terribly fantasy relevant. It looks like he's going to be a reliever. I feel like he should be a multi-inning reliever. That'd probably be his best spot. But he could get a chance to get in and get some starts. So he should be somebody who's on your radar. Again, if you're shifting over to NL only now and you're at the back end of your rotation and you got a, a buck or two to spend on a guy, Warren, I think, is somebody that you could you could possibly get um, and, and slot him in there as a swing man. Try to get the 75 innings of high-quality work. And if he gets in the rotation for a bit, maybe you get 115 innings. So um, let's talk about this deal. Let's start with Starlin Castro. What do you think of him as as uh, as a Yankee, possibly the starting second baseman? Yeah, I think he's got to be the starting second baseman. I think Dustin Ackley has too much experience in the outfield and, you know, just moving around. Uh, and Carlos Beltran is too old. And, you know, they're, you know, Alex Rodriguez is too old for them to – you know, just give Ackley the job. And Didi Gregorius was, was good enough with the glove. I, mean, I, I think he's pretty – I don't know if I'd go so far as special, but pretty close. I mean, I'd I think say, a, exemplary, you know, yeah, V yeah. good. I mean, I, I like him with the glove <laughs> and short. I'm yeah, with so, so Castro's going to be at second. Joe Madden, I, uh, I asked him about Castro, and he praised him for his professionalism after being taken out of the lineup and said that he looked better and the defensive numbers agree that he looked better at second and more looked more laterally quick. And then the sort of the power came around a little bit in the second half. 
Um, you know, lefty Yankee Stadium is a little bit better for lefty power. Sure. And um, you know, two of Castro's three worst years in terms of power and just the stick in general have been in the last two years in, in the last three years. So, um, you know, it's uh, it's not a slam dunk. It's not a slam dunk at all. I mean, there's been there was a lot of arguing. I wrote the piece on this. The uh, the whole Fangraphs crew went out to dinner and left me behind, and uh, I uh, I ended up writing like three straight uh, pieces. So uh, that was pretty funny. But uh, the 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 commentariat was um, a little bit split because of, of how to sort of read his career. Because you know, in his good years, he's above average with the bat and uh, good enough with the defense to put up two or three wins. And in his bad years the bat goes away and, you know, the defense isn't enough to float it. So, uh, you know, I think he's just one of those guys that puts a lot of balls in play, has an aggressive approach, and sometimes gets into funks where he's being taken advantage of for those facts. And then, you know, there's other times when he gets on a good streak and he hits a few balls out. So um, Could he it's hit 20? Huh? How, yeah. how, likely, how likely do you think it is that Starling Castro could hit 20 with the Yanks? At one time, I thought it was a surety. Uh, I thought it was I, a surety. I agree. I mean, he he was going to, you know, 2010, 2011, 2012, every year, got a little bit better, got a little bit better. I thought he was going to go 2020 the next year, 40, 10 homers and nine stolen bases. Yeah, I, I made that same mistake. The speed. So I don't know. The, has the, not I, been. I don't. Yeah, the speed. You know, he keeps getting caught as as often as he as he as he you know successfully steals a base, and the teams aren't going to let you do that anymore. So, yeah, I don't think uh, I don't think the steals are there anymore for him. And you're right to to point out the power. So it's all it's all about his power. And the problem is with that that his career high in homers is 14, and he's never had an above average ISO. So, you know, we're all relying on power, and his power you know, for his career is like 10 homers. So yeah, we're betting on the come here with him because the numbers don't give you a lot of reasons to be optimistic about Starlin Castro. We have to lean on the fact that, you know, six years, four of them have been good. But like you said, the two bad ones have been within the last three. I get why people will be out on him, but this is another one of these low stocks that I am going to take at least one share of because I still feel like the payoff could be substantial and the cost is just going to be scant. Even last year, uh, well, I guess last year he was coming off uh, a very good year, so he was expensive. But, um, you know, I I feel like even in that uh, 2014, when he was coming off of that first bad year, he still had a pretty high cost. Now you see two out of bad, uh, two out of three bad ones. That's going to push the price down on Castro, and that that's where you got to pounce. That's a true buy low. And I'll, I'll again, I'll be willing to get a share or two from uh, Starlin Castro. Just don't, yeah, just don't get too aggressive because the projection is two sixty seven with eleven homers, and the best you can push that to, I think, in your in anybody's mind, uh, even ours is you know if, if we're trying to put our rosy glasses on, is about two ninety and fifteen. Yes. So um, you know. Both of those numbers aren't that great. They're a little bit more uh, deep league than than mixed league, but you know, MI, uh, you know, they'll still have short eligibility at least too. So that does help yeah. to have both middle infield positions. Sneaky late 
you know, but then, you know, sometimes the Yankee players get, they get, get inflated. Overrated. You're right. Yeah. I, I've talked about a Yankee tax in the past. Although I believe I mentioned earlier this year, uh, you know, during draft season, that I didn't think the Yankee tax was cr- quite as prevalent. So maybe, maybe that's changing a little bit and we're not going to see as much of it, but I agree with you. You got to be careful of that. Don't get too aggressive on Castro. If you play multiple leagues, just get a share, maybe two. Um, and I understand if you're like a one league person and you, and you don't want to take the risk, I get it, but I'll, I'll, I'll be talking about Starlin Castro more as the season uh, and ramps up. Just a note about Adam Warren. Uh, in my, on my team, Adam Warren is the fifth starter, and uh, Jason Hamill is the is the Jesse Chavez swing guy because um, a just uh, Jason Hamill can't stay healthy. Uh, maybe maybe meeting his innings out a little bit more judiciously would keep him healthy. And oh, we have breaking news. We you know, Escobar news. trades. I think we have. I th- nope, it's a fake account. Oh, you got fake accounted. Fake account. I didn't retweet it. Retweet it. That's good. That's good. Uh, but uh, okay. Oh, so I, I see. I see this. Jason one. Hayward is not a cub yet. <laughs> yeah, this one is. This one's not even trying with the. He's uh, got like zero followers. I was like, okay, that's yeah, not yeah. him. That's, 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 um, that's pretty. Bad. Anyway, uh, Adam Warren. Uh, so uh, Jason Hamill gets hurt all the time. Jason Hamill has two pitches. Adam Warren is is a little bit younger and has four pitches, has uh, a little bit more upside, I think. Um, and um, I think I mean that's 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 my nutshell argument. No, you, so you, you, that's a really good point. You got me torn on this one. You got two guys I like here. I'm, I'm a but, Hamill guy, but it's a great point. He doesn't stay healthy, and yeah. he has these these stretches that are good, and then the health takes over, and, and yeah. they they you know, they infect the bottom line. Well, if maybe they kind of planned for 150 innings, maybe it would work out better. That's a good point. So I I watched uh, Sahadev Sharma. Uh, I I talked to Sahadev Sharma, who who covers the Cubs along with writing for BP about this. And, you know, he said that Jason Hamill got raced back from a a hammy injury last year. And that they didn't even put him on the DL. He just... They just use the the break to 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 sit him and then put him right back out there. So uh, that probably affected his numbers in the second half. He still managed to put it together, you know, okay season overall and with and when it comes to innings. But I just think maybe you could have a really lights out sixth inning, you know, sixth seventh, you know, fifth sixth seventh inning guy. You might need that, especially since Hendricks also has some issues. You know, you might need somebody like that to babysit Hendricks and Warren, but if you you know had all three of those guys and you asked me who has the best upside, I would put Hendricks and Warren ahead of uh, Hamill because of age and, and pitching mix. So I'd probably go Warren, Hamill, Hendricks, but I I, I hear you on that. Uh, right. Your but points Warren, on Hamill Warren are has like four legit pitches. I mean, he has a, his his four seam is straight, but it's a rising uh, a riding straight. He's got a decent sinker. Uh, the changeup has good movement. Uh, I think he might even have a fifth one. I think he's slider and curve. So. It's just a big old bucket of pitches, and it's not like they're all terrible. It's just no. Nope. Uh, He's know, very the, good. The the curve kind of fell off a little bit. He didn't get as many whiffs on the curve when he was a starter. He didn't get as many whiffs as general when he was a starter. But that was also in the American League, and he would get a little bit of a boost coming to the National League. So anyway, that's what I would do. But uh, you can't bet on what I would do. You can't bet on what Eno Saris would do with the Cubs because Eno Saris doesn't freaking manage the Cubs. So you know what you got to bet on is you know. Put a dollar on Warren in your NL only league. Uh, try to, or just reserve him probably. Um, maybe it takes a dollar because he might be in the mix. But 
I hope people forget about him because again, that yeah. that is a guy I would get multiple shares of, even if he doesn't have, uh, you know, a, a rotation spot. I'll just gamble on that, and and you know, get those swingman innings. If you can get a hundred something innings, I think they're going to be really good. I'm I'm big on Warren too, so I, I agree with you there. As that picture crystallizes, I'm sure we'll talk about it more. He could even end up winning a spot. It's not it's not out of the realm of possibilities. Somebody, I mean, somebody could get hurt in that rotation too. So. Exactly. I mean, they're dealing with with four guys over 30 now, and then uh, Kyle Hendricks at 26. It's not like Warren's young. We're just saying that those guys are more susceptible to injury, including one we talked about earlier, Lackey, who's five million years old. Uh, all right, next next trade is, is pretty quick one because I don't even know how much playing time he's going to get. But like Starlin Castro, he has that sneaky shortstop and second base eligibility. And, hey, that plays in fantasy. Plus, he's going to get a dose of, of uh, devil magic, which, you know, you got to add like 15 homers when you got devil magic. That's Jed Jerko <laughs> going over to the Cardinals. Right now he's blocked for sure. Peralta at short, Colton Wong at second. But they decide to go ahead and take a shot here on a guy who can play both middle and field positions, who's shown some pop. I've never been a fan uh, of Jerko personally, but I'll admit there's definitely some talent here. I, I just don't think it's going to blossom into anything great. What do you see out of Jed Jerko as a Devil Magic Cardinal? I see him as a platoon partner when everyone's healthy. I think he's either going to platoon with Colton Wong. That's the that's a risk for uh, guys that are young, but he might. Uh, for guys that are big on Colton Wong and um, and are and are in on him this year, but you know, they might just sort of uh, mix it up where he platoons sometimes with Wong and sometimes with Carpenter because Carpenter himself hasn't been uh, hasn't been amazing against lefties if I remember correctly. So um, right on that, but I don't know for certain on Carpenter. I got split. the splits right here. Two sixty two lefty on lefty. Uh, Two sixty two three forty four twenty eight. Uh, yeah, 20 points lower WRC plus, still above average, uh, but uh, you know, also kind of a guy that you could give a blow every once in a while. So, getting you know, up there in age himself, you know, not, not not young. Wong's at bats against lefties are at most risk here, I think. But uh, okay, that's uh, fine though. Well, Didn't he suck against them? They might might actually help him to take some of those ugly at bats off of his bottom line. But I like Cold Wong. I think. I think he's good. He didn't pan out the way his big believers, of which I was one, thought he would in, in, in 2015. But you're still talking about a 25-year-old who I, do, who I do think has some promise. But he was so brutal against lefties. You're 100% right there. 552. 69 WRC+. Plus. That's not That's nice. That's not nice, though. You would think it was nice initially when you'd look at it. Like, 69. That's not Oh, shit. That's no, not that's nice. Not it's nice. actually really nice. <laughs> that's real All right. Back to the big moves now. The Shelby Miller deal. This one rocked the winter meetings, you know, because Grinky was done before the winter meetings. This was probably the move, at least, that, that drew the most attention uh, if it wasn't the biggest move. Shelby Miller to from Atlanta to Arizona for – Number one overall pick, Dansby Swanson, Major League outfielder Ender Inciarte, and solid prospect who was a sandwich pick, so that's like uh, you know something in the 30s or 40s, technically a first rounder, Aaron Blair. Everyone feels like they paid you know a mint for for Shelby Miller. It's hard to really disagree with that. I think Shelby Miller is really good, so I, I you know I understand why he costs a lot, but uh, it still felt like. Maybe a little bit too much. What did you see? What did you think when you saw this trade come down? Yeah, I mean, the Braves did really well. Oh wait, 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 wait! Arizona got Gabe Spear as well. Sorry, 
that definitely flips it back in their favor. I totally forgot about that. That's my bad, y'all. Sorry. Everything is different. <laughs> so, okay. We know he's not a one. Uh, on his best day, he can be a two, but that's on his best day. That's, you know, 10 times a year out of 30 starts. For the most part, he's just a solid three. We've seen three seasons out of him. That rookie season was really impressive, 23% strikeout rate. The you know former first-round pick, Uber prospect, makes good. This is going to be great. But then it comes back 2014, really falls apart, loses more than two strikeouts off of his rate. He had a 374 ERA, which makes it look like it wasn't that bad. But when you dig into the numbers, he was kind of fortunate to even come away with that. He probably should have been closer to the mid fours. But then 2015, he rebounds. He goes out to Atlanta uh, in the Hayward deal and has a really good season outside of that ugly win-loss record. 302 ERA, uh, 125 whip. Strikeouts come back up, but not quite as high. So, you know, we're, we're dealing with a guy, he's going to be 25. We've seen the good. We've seen, you know, not. I, I, I'm not going to call it the bad because, like I said, 374 ERA still isn't bad, even if the numbers suggested it should have been worse. We've seen the not-so-great. Where are we on him? Is there any more upside to be untapped, or is this just a solid mid-rotation uh, guy that the Diamondbacks got, or could they maybe have something extra here if Miller, uh, you know, gets better? Well, there's, there's a, you know, fastball cutter curve. He 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 started throwing the high fastball more often. Uh, he got more rise out of his fastball uh, as the season went on. So he, he kind of got back to 2013 uh, Shelby Miller in that um, he was doing the same things with his fastball and curve that he was doing back then. And then he added in a cutter to replace the changeup and uh, and give him a weapon against lefties. So in those ways, uh, he did everything that I wanted him to, and he became who I thought he could be, which I would say uh, is not necessarily uh, even a number two, is more of a number three. But um, one little piece of information is interesting. He uh, His changeup went... Uh, his changeup dropped a lot more in the second half last year than it had before. For so Miller, he, you're talking about his changeup? Yeah. Yeah. So his changeup used to have no drop on it, which was why it was so terrible. Uh, but uh, in the second half last year, it had a five inch drop uh, compared to his forcing. Did he amplify the usage as a response? Because it's something that he's kind of gotten away from. You mentioned the cutter. That's almost replaced him, uh, replaced the changeup as his third pitch. Uh, I know he started with some decent changeup usage, but I know it's been going down. Did he turn it up as a response to this newfound drop? Yeah, the the uh, the last three months of the season, he used the changeup more than he had uh, in all of 2014. Uh, okay. Or at least it, it it was comparable to the beginning of 2014. Then he like just ditched it completely in 2014 and ditched it completely in the beginning of 2015. But right when the movement got better, he started using it again. So, you know, uh, if he does add that, then he's kind of a five-pitch pitcher, of which the curve and the four-seam are elite level. Um, and the um, changeup, you know, in the second half got almost average whiffs. So then you'd have an average sinker, an average change, and an average uh, cutter, or, or maybe even a little bit better than average cutter. 
that's all that's all you know sounds better than average and sounds close to elite or sounds close to number one so i think he's a i think he's a prototypical number two actually i mean at this point he's a veteran he's got a decent mix he might not strike out you know a guy per inning or or you know necessarily be the guy you want to run out there in the in the first inning uh, the first game of a five-game series sure but if you're gonna but you don't roll, have to when you got grinky Right, and if you're going to roll Shelby Miller out for the second game of a five-game series, you feel pretty good. Yeah, I, I like I said, I, I like Miller, um, but I still feel like that that was a pretty steep price even as a Miller backer. But you mentioned I mean, this changeup; this could be huge. He's got a one 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 hundred nine point split, you know, favoring lefties. Uh, they do better against him for his whole career. If if the changeup can start to tap into that, and he brings it down because he's pretty damn elite against righties. That, that could take him from that three to two. I think right now he's firmly a three. We could see him morph into that two, and then the returns don't look so fierce. But as it stands today, it's pretty no, fierce. No, I think it's still – think, You think no matter think, what? No matter what? I think what? even if it's, he's a two, it's not a ton of years in control. And this was brought up at the winter meetings. The Mets might have taken that package from Matt Harvey. No, this was an ace package. You're right. No, no, you're right. I'll back off that entirely. It doesn't matter. Outside of him becoming a one, morphing into a 200-inning ace, they can't get get even on this. Apparently, they could have gotten gotten Danny – like they literally could have gotten Danny Salazar, and they told the Indians they didn't want Danny Salazar because he'd had TJ. Wait. Oh, my goodness. Oh, I, I think I'd take Salazar over Miller. Right, that's what I'm saying. And then you know, then you put yourself in the in the in the Mets shoes. They need a center fielder. They need a left-handed center fielder, and they need a shortstop. Um, and, and Ciarte and, and Swanson. Yeah, and Swanson, you know, yeah, maybe he can't be a shortstop right now, but add Swanson to Rosario, and you feel a lot better about having the shortstop of the future. And, and then, then we haven't even gotten to Blair. And yeah, and you know, Blair. It might be more grounders and weak contact than strikeouts. So, it will be. I agree. You know, maybe it's just a four-five, but you know, you're you're sending Harvey, you're you're slotting Wheeler and Matz up a, a rung higher, and then Blair, you know, gets into the mix for that five spot. You don't even have to depend on him. Like you're not even necessarily pitching him in your rotation. You're gonna, you know, uh, you know, sign Bart or you know, do whatever for a fifth guy and wait till Wheeler's healthy and 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 then just move everybody up. So. The the Mets could have taken that deal, and we're talking about Harvey and Salazar and Miller, and Miller shows up third on everybody's list. 100%. I I agree with you there. Um, Kylie, from from his Diamondbacks prospects uh, last fall, uh, winter, he he said a scout compared Blair to, to Lackey and Lance Lynn. Big, unspectacular, but a steady 3 4 type. Who you know can just be solid, and and those guys don't jump off the prospect pages because they're really never going to be a one or a two. Um, you know they might have years where they look like that, but they never have the consistency to do that every time. But Blair could be pretty useful, so I, I really like him as a dark horse in this trade. I even wrote that up in the uh, in the trade implications piece. What do you think about Enciarte after his big year? Now I know a lot of his WAR was built on the defense, so that's not really going to apply to us so much in fantasy unless you're playing like a score sheet or something. But what do you think of him just as a fantasy asset whose speed, batting average, and something that we've talked about in the past that I like, 
I, I like when I can get that speed without getting that total zero in power. And nobody's fawning over his four and six home runs the last two years at ages 23 and 24. But I like when I can get 20-something stolen bases and actually get a little bit of power. Unlike Ben Revere, I always avoided him. Just getting that zero in homers always bothered me. So what do you think of Enciarte real fast before we move on to the rest of the moves? I think I, I'm going to take the over on every single projected line he's got, except maybe homers, like maybe maybe six again. But even there, I think I see the potential for a little bit of growth of power. Um, he's just going to a worse park, so it might those things might go in different directions, ends up with sure. five homers. But I'll take the, the over on projected plate appearances, 495. I'll take the over on projected triples even. I mean, two triples. He had five last year. Doubles, uh, more playing time, and – especially stolen bases, he's projected for 18. Even if you uh, prorate that out, it's it's not a very much of an increase out of 21. I don't know, man. That team is going to be bad, 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 bad. Let him run. Exactly. But, and I think they might just let him run. And even if it's just to improve his trade value once again, because they have another guy, Malik Smith. Is Malik Smith? Yeah. Malik? Remember we talked about him? Yeah, uh, yeah. A couple weeks ago, you brought up that name. We we like that. You got. And maybe they'll even maybe Malik Smith will be in the outfield next to him, and they'll just be the go-go Braves because they don't really have much power, and you know, you know, they're gonna do whatever they can do to to to. I think they will try to win. I don't think that they're necessarily gonna be thinking about draft picks anymore because they assembled a lot of players that are somewhat close to the major leagues. Oh, absolutely. So so they're, I think they are going to try and win and try their best to see who's who on next year's team, which is going to suck, that who they want for the year after that when they're going to be a little bit better. So um, I think Dansby Swanson's going to be in the major leagues by 2017, if not July, then definitely September. Uh, I think Ozino Albies, their other uh, shortstop, even though he's like two years younger than, than Dansby Swanson, um, I think he's he's, he's already gonna, moving. Yeah, he's going to be uh, ready uh, maybe by the end of this year, uh, 2016. So um, that's a middle infield that has a lot of athleticism and uh, and just you know some you know hit tool. Swanson a little bit more power, um, and then they'll just need to find you know some third base, a third baseman, and uh, you know see if Oliveira is actually going to help them at all and uh, give some time for these pitchers to develop. So. And they've got tons of pitching. No, I think they're doing some really good things over there. And frankly, they might not be done if they can get a, a you know, a, a decent sum for Julio Tehran. I, I don't think it's out of the question that they would also move him. Um, you know, even though he's young, Shelby Miller's younger, and they moved him. So I don't think, I, I think the only one, and, and I don't even know if you could rule it out, but the only one who seems to be firmly planted is Freddie Freeman. Otherwise. They're just making moves uh, in Atlanta. And this one was a really sharp one. After the Andrelton Simmons trade didn't exactly thrill folks, I think they got back in the good graces with that move. So uh, we got five more moves here, and then we're going to spend an hour on one move at the very end. It'll be worth it, folks. Don't worry. So it's going to be a long pod, maybe three, four hours, but it'll be worth it. Let's talk, <laughs> let's talk next about Ben Zobrist uh, signing with the Cubs. This was really interesting deal. And I heard something you could probably confirm. It. I heard it on MLB Network. So it was definitely out there, you know, being said probably a lot. You probably knew even before me that Zobrist was kind of the linchpin to the hitters market. In fact, you just wrote a piece on how nobody's talking about Justin Upton. Like, 
up until recently, no no hitters were really being talked about. And again, the report was that Zobris was going to be the piece that kind of opened the floodgates, probably because so many teams were considering him, and he can be considered in so many different spots that, you know, if Team X signs him and they put him in left field, well, then they don't need Alex Gordon. But if Team B signs him, then then they don't need a second baseman because they're going to put him there, so they don't they don't worry about Howie Kendrick or whatever the case may be. And also, now, you know, in terms of um, money spent. You know, $56 million sounds like a lot, but when you're talking about Upton and Hayward and those guys, those guys are all going to be $100 million and plus guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, you know, so you got to wait. It's a lot easier for a team to, to focus on a, the $50 million guy first. And, exactly. And, exactly. And, and also, be, and I put this as a point in the Upton piece, there are going to be more teams in on the guy who costs 50 than there are for 100 So. Um, you know, there, so every, like you said, everyone was in on, on, on Zobris for their own different reasons. And, uh, that probably cleared it up for some signings. Who knows it'll be, if it'll be before or after the holidays, but I would, I would assume we're going to get a little flurry next week I agree. Uh, uh, of some hitters signing. Zobris, the, the deal that he actually signed is interesting because you can, you can kind of go the way of the radio call-in show guy. And be like, ah, fifty-six million dollars for a thirty-five-year-old, you know? No thanks. Four years, he's gonna be so terrible when he's thirty-nine. I'll hang up and listen. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, you know, I I did a little contract calculator on the write-up for this one, and and I what I did was I just I I, I put all the stuff to the worst. I said, you know, make this a six point five million dollar win, uh, you know, off season. Most people have been saying around eight. But let's say it's 6.5. Let's say uh, he ages poorly, that we have have different aging curves on there. So I clicked aging poorly, um, and uh, I forget what else I did. But I I did a couple different things to make it the worst, and it basically spit out $54 million. So I'd say that works. And that's a bad case scenario, and 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 it's 54 mil. There there you go. I mean, that. So mm-hmm. even so, basically, even if he's almost replacement level in his last year, and you can imagine it like, oh, he's has is having a hard time staying on the field, and he he kind of looks like Daniel Murphy at second base now. <laughs> um, so you know, uh, you could see him, you know, looking kind of like a Daniel Murphy with walks, uh, you know, that can't stay on the field in the fourth. But you can see also why the Mets would be interested in that because it's like, well. In the meantime, he'll be an upgrade on Daniel Murphy. Exactly. In the meantime, he's supercharged Daniel Murphy right. at second base, and we can move him around. So, yeah, you totally got why they were one of the teams that were heavily interested. Uh, the Giants were one of the teams. Um, there's another one that I had on the tip of my tongue that I can't think of. Uh, but either way, there were so many teams that were interested. He made four or five visits, I believe. He decides on the Cubs, probably going to bat second, play primarily second. But you know Joe Madden Club. They're going to move him around. Obviously gets reacquainted with Joe Madden, who's had him through his glory years. Um, what do you see from from Zobrist in the uh, fantasy realm for next year? S- standard operating procedure, same as last year kind of deal? Or uh, do we start to see the downgrades offensively yet? Well, you know, he was a lot worse before uh, his knee surgery. So, uh, you know, there's a a big uh, chance that there's some health, uh, some health issues, especially even with the last with the the power down a little bit. You never know how long that uh, the knee was bothering him. So uh, you could see a little resurgence, uh, you know, 15, 16 homers, maybe. Uh, But uh, I wouldn't pay for anything. I, you know, in fact, 
the 621 plate appearances is projected into seem a little bit um, gaudy. I think I would pay for uh, maybe like 5% worse than that. You know, okay. not necessarily 10% worse than that. I don't think he's necessarily a 550 guy like he was last year. So maybe closer to 590, 600 flat. Yeah, I think 600 flat. So 12 homers, you know, 75 runs, uh, 60 RBI. Runs an RBI, I don't know. That team could score a ton. So uh, maybe the, I was just about the to runs an RBI will be about the same. But, um, but uh, you have to shave a, a homer or two off and maybe a, a couple hits off and and think a little bit about um, guys who play at his position. If you're NL only and you're gonna you're gonna play him at second, um, you may want to pair him with another guy who's like two B O F or um, you know two B shortstop or something. You know another a younger guy who uh, could slot over there in case he he goes down for a bit. I'm gonna flip one on you on the on the rundown there just to talk since we talked Zobris and the Mets. We'll talk about their replacement. So they they obviously didn't get Zobris, so they went out for their consolation prize and got Neil Walker in a straight up trade for John Neese. Again, a, 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 another win win I think on these one for one deals. I like it. You know, from a fantasy perspective i think really only walker it, it, it needs to be looked at right now nice obviously searage has worked his magic on far worse pitchers i wouldn't be surprised if he got some you know solid innings out of nice who's a ground ball guy that's something that they love 50 percent for his career mark as high as 55 percent which was last year's mark in 177 innings doesn't miss a ton of bats but again they don't they don't care in Pittsburgh. They know how to utilize you if you're just going to keep the ball on the ground and throw strikes. That is something these can do. So there's some, you know, maybe fringe NL value. But let's talk about Walker going to the Mets. I would say that he's a better Murphy, um, better than Murphy at second base, but obviously doesn't have Murphy's flexibility to go to other positions. And then the bats, they're just not too different from each other. So I don't think there's going to be much difference there. Do you like Neil Walker in City Field with the Mets? Yes, very much. I, I think, um, you know, in a, from a real-life standpoint, it's obvious that they uh, are, you know, not um, not getting as much defensively. But uh, given that there's a five-year difference, um, you know, you don't know how, how much, you know, uh, he's going to fall off next year's Zobris when it comes to – uh, the defense, so you know, maybe they'll it'll be a negligible difference, and they, the, the difference then becomes that you know they only have a year of Walker, and they had to actually trade an asset to get him. But uh, it's cheaper, and when it comes to fantasy, you don't care about defense, and since you don't care about defense, I would take Walker over Zobris next year. Perfectly fair. And what if Herrera is available next year anyway? So they they might only need the one year stopgap again. Kind of looking back at the uh, at the real life aspect of it. I really like this move for the for the Mets. I thought it was a sharp move. Let's go ahead and get back to that one I skipped. One more for Seattle here. Uh, they go ahead. I mentioned that they had some first base movement jettisoning both Trumbo and Logan Morrison. Well, of course they had to replace and I think they made a decent upgrade here. They went ahead and got Adam Lind from the Brewers and it was for a couple of prospects, uh, really low level names that we, I don't even remember them, uh, which is part of the reason that we're not getting into them, but they're not fantasy relevant, which is the main reason that we're not getting into them. So let's talk about Lind being traded again, second offseason in a row, but he went from great hitters park to great hitters park now to a lesser hitters park, but at least he's <laughs> a lefty because Safeco, it doesn't really favor anybody on the, uh, when you're hitting, but it's less difficult on lefties. 
Uh, what do you think of Neil Walker? We know the, the back is an issue, but do you think he, he, his offense will hold up? He's been pretty good the last couple of years. Um, you know, the, uh, they, they are changing the walls in Safeco, aren't they? They did. I mean, maybe I feel like, honestly, I feel like all the bigger parks are moving in the walls every year these days. Like city did it. I think a couple of years in a row, Petco did it a couple of years in a row. I know Safeco did it last year. I want to yeah, say they did, they did it last year, but and uh, our, our uh, yeah. park factors are three year regress. So they won't show up, you know, necessarily as quickly as it would. Um, if you look in the Bill James handbook, uh, they have one year park factors and, um, I've heard that uh, Seattle played a, a little bit differently last year. So maybe it won't be such a big deal for land. If it is a big deal, uh, you could see the projection is 269 with 17 homers. I think you could see it fall all the way to where he was, even in Toronto, where he had a 255 batting average. And it was 11 homers. It was a, like a half season, but it was a 159 ISO. So, um, you know, he kind of bounces around in the power department. And it's I don't, probably the back. If I, if honestly, if I had to guess, I, I'm not giving him a pass. It's, I'm giving a right. reason. He's yeah. had back issues for a long time, and I've mentioned it a million times. Basically, whined about it. I have a terrible back as well, right. um, and I don't even play baseball, so I can't even imagine some of the things that these guys do with the injuries that they have. So honestly, you're really trying to bet on health. He's going to be 32. It's it's a calculated gamble though, because if he's healthy, I think he's he's still that that firm low 800s uh, OPS kind of guy with 20 bombs. But if not, you're getting 90 games, and then who knows what kind of homer total you're getting with Lynn. That's a good point, though. But 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 between platoon and the back, uh, you know, it's been five years since he's had 600 play appearances. So he's another one of these guys that uh, you really want to pair with someone. I corner, he, at, yeah, and he's a corner infielder at best. You know, Logan Morrison has almost no value on the market and may only, uh, you know, hit against lefties as a DH uh in in tampa but you know it'd be an interesting pairing to to put those two 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 guys together maybe for like a corner infield slot um for your 15 team or something you like i can't imagine you'd have to spend double digits to to put the two of them on your team and you may come out of it you you kind of double up in that these are kind of guys that are super cheap that have a highly variable past and health issues and may not play a full season but by doubling up um, you kind of, I think you give yourself an 80% chance for something like eight, nine, 10 bucks. You give yourself an 80% chance of getting at least one guy out of that group that can hit 280 with 20 homers, you know? And uh -huh. if you actually, if you actually paid market rate, I think for 280 for 20 homers in that kind of league where you, where you're looking for that. I feel like you would have to pay more than eight to 10 bucks. So no, I, th I think you're a hundred percent right. That's a good call. Find somebody to pair with Adam Lynn because you know that even in a good year from him, like last year, you're not getting much more than 570 uh, plate appearances. So I, I, that's the a tweet, great point. Yeah, because he gets platoon too. So yeah, exactly. Can't hit lefties. Everyone knows that. Shouldn't even get any starts against lefty uh, starters. He's going to get some plate appearances against them when relievers come in, but otherwise, don't even worry about him against lefties. He just can't do it. That's fine. Let him be a strong side platoon guy. All right, two more trades. Juan Nicasio. Oh, huge deal. Um, let's see, I've already forgotten where he signed, so it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> he signed. 
<laughs> he is signed. By the way, I had breaking news earlier. I didn't really break it because I just didn't think it was that important. But since you're giving out Juan Nicasio, oh, it's with Pirates, with the Pirates. Pirates, so, there we go. <laughs> obviously going to become a beast. But also, Yunel Escobar went out to the Angels. And I guess maybe we should talk about it since he did play pretty well last year, Yunel Escobar did. But I want to say that he had like a 750 batting average on balls in play or something with like <laughs> eight, five also- games. It's sad because Johnny Giovatella, you know, had such a good season, yeah. well, well, you know, relatively. Yeah, relative for him and, and more of a real-life good season than a fantasy good season. But, yeah, Younel is now going to be over there with the with the Angels kind of being but their move-around guy. Maybe Younel plays third because they let David Freeze go. Oh, that's right. And, you know, right now Kyle Kubica uh, who is projected to hit two twenty seven with a two ninety nine OBP and a three forty slugging. You got to get that in your lineup. <laughs> so anytime you can get that in your lineup, you got to get that in there. So yeah, I guess you know to the bench. Now I uh, I think you're right. Roster resource put him at third and leading off. Now if he's if if you know Escobar has a full time role and he's leading off, and I you know on a team that has Mike Trout, Trout I, Calhoun Pujols behind him. There's some interest there at, at that point. I was making jokes about him earlier, but at that point, I'm a little bit more interested. He's not going to hit 314 again. It wasn't a 700 Babbitt, but it was 347. Easily his career high. He's only been over 300 one, two other full seasons, and then a half season over 300. So, yeah, we're going to get back down to the 280, 275 range, maybe even lower because he hit 253, 256, and 258 the three years before that. But but you know, Escobar used to be a batting average asset. So um, I think you can probably – you can pay for 275 and then maybe a good number of runs. He had 75 last year. You can get 75 uh, again. I'll take that. That has some value, just not overwhelming fantasy value. All right, <laughs> next up, last two trades. This is a big one. Coast strong last night at the winter meetings because, you know, today is the last day with the Rule 5 draft, but yesterday is like the last official full day of it uh, when everyone's still there making moves. And we got two two big moves to close out the night. This was the bigger of the two, Ken Giles trade. He gets traded from Philly over to Houston. We knew they were after a closer. They were in on every closer. They were in on a roll this before his trouble popped up. They were, you know, they've been uh, in on talks for Andrew Miller. Basically, if a, if a high-profile closer was available, Houston's name was front and center. So they go out and get their guy, but they paid. It was not cheap to get a 24-year-old closer who has control. They paid Vincent Velasquez, uh, Brett Oberholzer, Derek Fisher, Thomas Eshelman. Velasquez is, is, is the piece to focus on there. But uh, nice haul for Philly. Let's start with Giles on Houston. AL closers gets even deeper. It's so ridiculously deep. They add another super stud. What do you think of Giles as the Houston closer? Uh, sexy time mostly. I mean, I don't, uh, <laughs> I don't, uh, I don't see a problem. You know, you know, you come into the into uh, you come into an inning without anybody on. You come into into the with the bases clean. Um, you're not working on a third pitch. And uh, you have enough confidence after two years that you can pretty much throw to the center of the zone uh, with your 96, 97 with movement and your power slider. And, uh, and you become Kimbrell-esque. You know, I don't, there's not too much of a, a separator between the two, except that uh, Giles is closer to his command issues than Kimbrell. But, you know, you'll see a lot of similarities if you, look, if you go back to Kimbrell. 
and 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 watch his his minor league numbers uh, when he was coming up. So I, I don't, I wouldn't say that they're completely in his rearview mirror. Like I said, he's closer to them than Kimbrel. But Kimbrel's here's some Kimbrel's walk rates uh, in high A. Nine point six walks per nine. <laughs> in Double A, five point four walks per nine. In Carlos Barmol thinks those suck. Yeah, five five point six six walks per nine, even with a one six two ERA in Triple A. So uh, things are different for closers. And, no, they really are. Uh, and, and honestly, uh, I bring up Marmol in jest, but at his peak, when he was when he was actually beasting for those few years. He would walk the yard, and it still didn't matter. 38 saves, a 42% strikeout rate, 2.55 ERA, and a 118 WHIP, despite a 16% walk rate. And obviously, Giles is nowhere near those kind of troubles. So, yeah, I think you're right. Sexy time is is the order of the day when you're talking about Giles on a quality team. You could easily be talking 40 saves. Colette and I were really high on him coming into the year. We thought Papelbon would get moved sooner and we'd have a premier closer. Per usual, we were a year early. That's our favorite thing to do. So now everybody else can get Giles and get the good version. We stuck with a middle reliever for two-thirds of the year and then closed with a bang when we were already out of it. So that's my Can I say something about the Phillies? Holy crap, did they do this quick. They So uh, good, so fast. They, they are really excited now because what they're going to do is use this year uh, to, to take a look at Tyler Goodell, uh, who they just, they just uh, took in the, in the Rule 5 draft uh, from the Rays. And that, that guy has a potential to put up an above-average uh, on-base percentage with you know, 30, 30 steals, that kind of thing. The question is how much contact he'll make. Uh, but uh, they're going to they're gonna give him a full look because they took him in the Rule 5. They have to keep him all year. Cody Ashy gets, or Ash or whatever, uh, he gets his last chance um, at, at proving he's a major league regular. Uh, you know, Odubel Herrera and Cesar Hernandez, they're, they're, they're past sort of waiver Rule 5 type pickups. Uh, they get a chance to, to, you know, really lock down second base and center field. And, and by the way, if you guys suck, bye bye, because we have Nick Williams and Derek Fisher on the way. <sighs> And yeah, Fisher was one of those one of the pieces that they got. Uh, former first round picks got some got some real uh, prospect status. Not not a super frontline prospect, but that, definitely something real, especially to be kind of the third piece in this deal. That was really nice. You're right. They're gonna they're gonna have a year here where they can really work on finding some of these pieces that are gonna be their staples with a Michael Franco, and, and they've got to try these guys out. It's not necessarily going to be an exciting year because there's still going to be a lot of losses. But if you're a Phillies fan, you've got to feel so much better just 365 days later than you did last year when it looked so hopeless. They've revamped this so fast and so well. I'm really impressed. Now let's talk about the, the gem of that deal for them. Vincent Velasquez, our boy, uh, who, we, who we are big fans of. I can't say enough good things about him. I feel like the, the floor – is to just go back into the bullpen and, and be a stud closer for them. Like, you know, that could be two years down the road, but he can be a mid-rotation, maybe even a frontline starter if things break right. He's got that kind of upside. I'm a huge Velasquez fan. What do you think as uh, Velasquez for the Phillies? Yeah, we've, we've, I think we've, we've brought him up a lot. I mean, uh, 31% whiff rate on a slider last year. That's uh, – Oh, you know what? I can even check that. But I would uh, with oh, it's 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 open, it's open, it's in front of me, and that would be 
third best in baseball that and works. behind two relievers named Carter Caps and Sergio Santos. Oh, okay. So, so that works, I'd say. So I'd say that best, plays. The best starting uh, starting bit starter uh, whiff rate in, in baseball. Well, obviously he's only he's only thrown 58 of them. I like to use 100, 150, but uh, still a good representative, uh, a good way to talk about how good his breaking ball is. I mean, it's uh, it's a it's really nice. Uh, he uses the curve a little bit more than that slider, but both of them, uh, you know, the slider's 85, the curve is 82. That's a nice power curve with five inches of of drop. Um, it's it's a really nice pitch. The change. Uh, has three inches more uh, arm side run and six inches more drop than his. He's got a riding fastball. It's it's got the right movement. He just didn't really trust it and almost had a ten mile an hour gap too. So in terms of like pitch FX scouting looks great. In terms of you know whiffs that he's getting looks great. If you look at him on the good days, it looks great. There's there's just one thing. You know there might be a Houston fan yelling at the radio right now. Some people say he has terrible command. I don't. I wouldn't put the word terrible in front of it. I wouldn't either. Not with a 62% uh, first pitch strike rate. Like, I feel like he can – I feel like he's kind of close on, on getting that under control. Obviously, I'm, I'm very pro Velasquez, so I, I am seeing seeing the good here. But, I, you know, I'm, I'm being objective. I'm looking at the numbers. There's a lot of good that's coming out of Velasquez here, and I don't think that walks are necessarily going to be a chronic issue. Usually when you see a 9% walk rate, that's coming with like a 54% first pitch strike. They're getting behind early, and they can't dig out of it. He's got some things to work on, but he's 23 with 56 major league innings under his belt. Let's give him some time. I thought this was a great piece for uh, for Philly to get in this deal. You know, I understand what Houston's doing. They're putting the finishing touches on what was already a playoff team. That is when you go out and get a closer. But at the same time, I feel like maybe you could have just put Velasquez in the role if you if you're going to move him and you didn't want to use him as a starter. Why didn't you give him the shot to do it? But that's that's fine. That's neither here nor there. I want him to be able to get yeah. the chance to start anyway, and he will get that shot in Philly, he's, I think. He's 93, 94 starting. I mean, you give him a full year, you know, you know, training to, to be a reliever, he could have been 96 with a power curve. I mean, totally how agree. far the difference would he be? So, um, yeah, that's a little bit a uh, little bit weird. But uh, I think this is why baseball is so circular. circular and, 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 you know, you just kind of like there's a pressure to when you are. People talk about windows and and competitiveness and when you are you're close like that there's a pressure to to consolidate talent and that's a that's a way that you can understand these diamondbacks and 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 astros moves even uh, you know not really loving it long term they've got better enough for next year exactly And, And, and that might be all it takes they want to be good next year and the other team is saying next year is not as important to me and so therefore i get to maybe get better in years two and three and four or whatever so you know, it's a, it's a, uh, it's a risk. I think Velasquez is going to go right into the, into the rotation. They're going to just spend the year, you know, taking a look at, at him and giving him a chance to, to get through his things. And then all of a sudden, I mean, they're going to be good really quick. Check this out. Eikhoff, Nola, Velasquez, Velasquez. you know, and that's a nice start of a, of a, of a real rotation. Morgan, has some, you know, some some weak contact, uh, you know, specialties there. There's a chance that one of these other guys comes up and, and figures it out. 
and I don't, and I haven't even really said, uh, I haven't even really said anything about their, you know, their. I don't really know their their system that well beyond it. So, because well, it's it's a it's it's almost a new system. Like they've remade yeah. it. That it's kind of understandable that that when we don't even know all the all the guys that are kind of on the come as well. Jake Thompson, a guy that they got from Texas via Detroit, who I remember as a first round pick, uh, who's who's good. Uh, Franklin Killamy Killame uh, is somebody who's very far away, I think, but supposed to be on the rise and could be a, a really big pitcher for them as well. So they, they've also got stuff coming in addition to the guys that they're going to give big roles to this year. Like we said, I mean, we're, we're kind of gushing over Philly because in the matter of a year, they went from arguably the most hopeless situation in the game to a very promising one with a few key trades that they pulled and off really well that started with that Hamels deal. They have money. Yep. They have money. So, you know, some point soon, uh, Howard's deal is gone, finally. And, uh, you know, Jorge Alfaro, I don't really care about catcher that much. I mean, they, they can put together a catcher. They'll have money. And either Franco will be at first, or and they can buy a third baseman, or Franco's still at third and they buy a first baseman. Uh, I'm going to give them J.P. Crawford just because I really like J.P. Crawford. I, I do too. I think he is going to be the the guy. So yeah, I don't think, think he's got to go buy a I think short. Worst stuff. case, I think worst case for J.P. Crawford is that he's just really good defensively and a little bit inconsistently inconsistent offensively. Uh, I don't know if I have a good comp for that uh, right off the top of my head. Elvis Andrus? I mean, yeah, current yeah. Elvis Andrus? Because his yeah. bat was better to begin with. I think that's not bad. I mean, just that he's good enough defensively that you don't worry too much about what's happening offensively. But I, but obviously the upside past that because he's a top 10 uh, he's a top ten prospect right now. Absolutely. Oh, by the way, Andrus' bat was never good. So Andrus is a pretty good comp through and through. Yeah. And then... And then, uh, and then you, then you got, like I said, Williams and Fisher. Fisher comes over when I think I remember uh, people talking really nicely about Fisher in uh, in Arizona. Okay, this is Derek Fisher, um, a first round pick for them, not the basketball player, guys. For the <laughs> he did not well, transition Derek, from who Derek Fisher to... came over in the in the deal. Uh, for Ken Giles just yeah, now. Yeah, he he was in and, that deal. He's an OBP kind of guy too, right? Takes a lot of walks in the minors. And people say, you know, whippy strong, good bat, uh, sometimes not the best bat control. So that's why you'll see some of these uh, strikeout rates. That's that's a risk. He's also not a top 10 prospect like uh, a Crawford or something. So there's a lot more risk associated with him. But, you know, what's fun about him and Nick Williams, and maybe only one of them works out, but they're very different. Uh, you know, Nick Williams came over in the Hamels deal and um, – and he's more of a sweet swinger. You know, it's not necessarily, um, you know, we'll have to see what kind of power. It was nice power this last year, but uh, it's more a little bit more borderline on the power, but a little bit more contact in this good time. So, um, you know, I, I think uh, it's a very interesting, you know, Williams is, is a nice uh, athletic guy, too. I, I think and they're both like double A, triple A types. So, you know, they're right. They're right there. And it's not going to take that long for them to wait. And uh, I think they've they've taken their two best assets and turned them into something good really quickly. And now they can, uh, you know, spend some money around the edges. I mean, this is the kind of team that can give a veteran bounce back, uh, a bounce back contract. You know yep. what I'm saying? Exactly. This is the kind of team that could sign like an Ian Desmond, you know? Yeah. And, and F say, fill, fill the shortstop for now. And then you're going to move 
when we'll Crawford's ready. Later, maybe he'll be our center fielder. Who knows? You know, maybe he'll be our second baseman. And uh, and we're gonna do that just because we see you as a value, and we have the money, and we have a place to offer you. And that was one. That's one thing that Baltimore does well. They keep a place. They have opportunities to give people. So when Steve Pierce has a chance to 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 you know go to a team, he says, "Which of these teams do I like?" Well, you know, Baltimore doesn't have a corner outfielder right now. They you have know? a real opportunity. I'm gonna do that. And I was talking online about. Um, about you know whether or not a bad bullpen begets better minor league signings, and uh, Kyle Body works the driveline mechanics said, yeah, yeah, my guys, my pros that are working out always talk about that when they're talking about opportunities for them and where they might go. They're always talking about, oh yeah, you know, uh, the Dodgers had a really bad bullpen last year. I'm going to sign with them. You know, I could get, I could be their setup guy maybe. So um, you know, when you saw that Jim Henderson signed with the Mets. I have a feeling they're going to get one or two more good ones because the Mets have basically an open setup guy position right now. Oh yeah, it's 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 familiar, and then and then who can who can take who can grab hold of of the roles? I I totally right. agree. So, That's a great point about opportunities for teams as opposed to just trying to you know when, when you're the player, yeah, you'd like to go to the best team and be competitive, but you also want to play, so you got to go right. where you can get some PT. So the Phillies, they're gonna they're gonna follow that, and I think it's gonna be a quick rebuild. They're gonna follow that mode where they're gonna pick up a couple guys where you say, well, that's interesting. That guy's 32 or whatever. Well, you know what? He might still be good in three years, and he might you know might be their you know setup guy instead of their closer. You know, like David Hernandez, right? Maybe they what did they sign him to? I don't even know. I know he's he's there basically their closer now. I was gonna say he he's filled in as the closer right now. I don't remember what his deal was. I actually just saw it on the scroll yesterday, and my buddy and I were talking about how we always liked David Hernandez, and then you know injuries kind of took over for a while. That, and that's, if they, and, yeah, and if it takes just a second longer than they than they thought, then then they trade the guys like David Hernandez. So exactly that. He's on the lower end of, of what you're talking about. Desmond will be on the higher end of the make good. But, yeah, if, if Hernandez does bounce back and does start to show some of that closer cachet, well, they flip him again right here in June, in, in July and get another piece. Just you know, keep getting pieces. They, they've done a really good job. But you can't say enough considering how grim it looked when Amaro was, was at the helm there. And credit to him, he made the Hamels deal. So uh, I'm, I'm sure there was, was help there, but he executed it. So – he gets credit for that. All right, we have one last trade before we get into that final hour-long discussion on the on the biggest signing of the century. Uh, Brett Laurie <laughs> was dealt. You'll no longer get to talk to Brett Laurie uh, as frequently w- with him not being in Oakland. I'm sure that that really crushes you. Uh, we'll save our we'll save our comments. But he's going to go over to the White Sox. And you know, there's two guys going back. I think Zach Irwin and JB w- Wendelman or something. Wendell 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 Ken. Wendell Ken, K-E-N at the very end there. Uh, two two low-level, you know, two off-the-grid kind of prospects because Chicago doesn't even have a great system. They didn't have much to offer. So whenever your team is trading a major leaguer to the White Sox for prospects, you're probably not going to be happy with the return. They just don't have a ton of great prospects. This doesn't look good because Lowry's supposed to be the guy who makes the Josh Donaldson thing not hurt so much. And now he's gone and you traded him for two arms with like – back end of the rotation upside like that's their freaking upside so we can we could slam bean here and kind of get on that i think it's really bad i guess (laughs) i mean that's what i've been feeling i don't think he gives a crap 
he would have traded somebody said would he have traded him back to the blue jays and i said yeah he would have if the of blue course. jays wanted brett laurie back you if know? they'd have given him something that he wanted absolutely like he's got to move on from it he knows that he lost the donaldson deal maybe that maybe there's something to be said for that that he can just move on and not dwell on it but either way that's botched, but let's talk about Lowry because he is still just 26. He hasn't panned out the way we thought he would, but we based a lot of that. I'm saying we as like the fantasy community, not, not necessarily you and I, even though I did like him when he first came up, but a lot was made on those 150 at-bats that he dominated in 2011, and he was a top prospect. We're like, well, he's just going to keep this going, and obviously he has, and he's been kind of a an average to maybe just below average with the bat for four years since. Now he goes back into another hitter's park, but it didn't do too much for him in Toronto, so I don't think that you can really get too geeked about that. Is this just who he is, a a solid defensive guy with an average bat, so he's going to be a 10-year major leaguer but never be a fantasy asset, or or can there be more here for Brett Lurie? I'm gonna. He's gonna be on my tombstone. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> he drafted Brett Laurie in every Ten one of times. his 13 <laughs> seasons as a major leaguer, including the last year when he was just a utility man. Eno loved Brett Laurie. Um, well, see, you know, one of the reasons that I liked, uh, and it wasn't just the debut. I mean, looking through his minor league stats, I said, here's a guy with plus power but also above average speed, above average patience, and above average contact. So that all was true at some point. Absolutely. I I don't think it's all true anymore. So I think maybe you can give him above average speed because he's an athletic guy. He's super cut. If you see him with a shirt off, I don't know if that matters. But he's an athletic guy, so I'll give him above average speed. I'm going to give him above average power still. It hasn't. He's right at average for his career, but, he, you know, last year was a bad park, and there's all these injuries. I'll give him above-average power still. The patience and the plate discipline have sort of fallen apart to the point where I don't necessarily believe him in them anymore. I mean, he hasn't had an average walk rate since that uh, rookie year, and the strikeout rate's gotten worse. And worse than just his strikeout rate getting worse is that you're seeing – uh, approaches to him that I'm not sure that he's doing a really great job responding to. I mean, at one point he got 10 straight breaking balls from the Rangers. <laughs> it was so bad. Uh, what wasn't it all strikeouts too? like an 0 for four yeah. that night? Um, he, yeah, he stagnated particularly this year on the plate approach and the league just keeps getting better against him. 20, 24% uh, career high strikeout rate after no higher than 18%, and that 18% came in that in that debut. His full season high uh, beyond that was 17%. So he was a guy making a lot of contact, and all of a sudden striking out almost a quarter of the time with a 12% swinging strike rate. So the the approach was behind it that that kind of legitimized that strikeout rate, which isn't a good thing, of course. So um, I'm I'm with you. It's probably another guy that I have to get at least one share of because I'm not. I'm going to be so pissed if I drafted him for four years and then he clicks and I've got nothing. And maybe that's a flaw in my fantasy game that I can't quit some of these guys in case they get good, but I'm just not going to do it. I'm not going to let everybody else get the get the, the, the 25-15 season out of him, homer, stolen base, you know, break out out of nowhere for the White Sox while I'm like, you know what? I had him for four years. Nope. I will have at least one share of Brett Lahr. You can guarantee that. I know. I know. And it's the worst part is that like he isn't, he, he wasn't that bad last year. 
No, he, I mean, that's the thing. He's never been that bad. Like, he's just kind of middling, and you're like, oh, it's right there under the cusp. He's going to bust out, and, and he just keeps not busting out. He just keeps you know drinking that, more you know Red Bull. <laughs> and, oh, my God, talking to him in the clubhouse is crazy because he's – uh, a mile a minute. I mean, it's just really, really hard to keep up with them. <laughs> it's like remember the the beanball war with with KC in Oakland, and he, you know, obviously he was thrown at when he was, you know, he got uh, front and center there with the cameras talking to him in the locker room. And yeah, you got a taste of him at a mile a minute. He was just go. We're playing out here. We're talking about lives, man. This guy's throwing in my head. Like he, he could not keep up with him. He took it from a head hunting incident to my grandkids aren't going to get to see me sort of deal. And it's like, dang, man, I've been there. I've, I've had those six Red Bulls and I've been there. Maybe that's why I like him. We're Red Bull brothers. Well, I can't uh, – I'm having a little bit of an internet issue. I can't uh, necessarily uh, pull up the um, second base rankings uh, for last year. But, I'll play uh, where he finished. But I'll, I, I would say that a 260 average of 16 homers and five stolen bases probably made him, I would guess, top 10. Um, Let's see here. Uh, at least top 15. He was – he was actually 21st. Really? At least based on ESPN's. Oh, you know what? 64 runs and 60 stolen bases. Uh, well, 60 stolen bases I mean, 60, would have been uh, really good. But 60, Rich, yeah. yeah. Uh, he, he, he got some pretty low numbers. In That's the, a bad team, though. That's yep. not his fault. Yeah, I, I, honestly, so, sometimes I do this, too, and I'm not, I'm not going to do it right now. It's, it's a little bit of a process. But I, sometimes I'll go in with, like, the player rater numbers, and I'll just kind of look at the homers, stolen bases, and average piece and take out the runs RBIs because somebody like a Xander Bogarts, he was far and away the best shortstop uh, by their little metrics. I shouldn't say little like I'm demeaning them, but by, <laughs> by their metrics because his runs and RBIs were through the roof. And if you take those down, he comes back down to the pack a little bit. And I think even Carlos Correa beats him when you're looking at homer, stolen bases, and average. Runs and RBIs definitely matter, but I, I like to get that look away from runs and RBIs and then factor it back in. I think that's a good point with somebody like well, him. He was, he was on a terrible team. Is the, are the White Sox going to be any better? Which is a fair uh, question. Sure. But I, I think, you know, you know, there's a there were there were some signs of maturity um, in, in his in his year, I would say. I think he did show some he was better defensively at second base in the second half. He did show he calmed down a little bit. Um, uh, you know, I think he showed enough to stop getting uh, thrown breaking balls every five seconds. And, um, you know, at 25, he actually does have one more year uh, before peak, you know, in most measures. So, um, you know, even if you think peak is, is 26 instead of 27 or 25, he's, he's right there at his peak. And you could get sort of uh, a coming together of, of maturity, uh, you know, personally and maturity baseball-wise and get his best season next year because partially of his, his new home park. So... Uh, I don't think he's that far from like a 270, uh, 23, 24, and 6 season. Um, and if he did do that and, you know, Eaton was was good again and you got Abreu. Abreu, uh, Cabrera got back on track. Yeah, if, the, if, a, if a couple things went right for them, then he would pair 80 uh, runs and 80 RBI with that line. Well, then and you're talking. Then you're talking top five. 
Yeah, then you're talking. If he can, if if Chicago can be what a lot of folks thought they could be this year, because there was some buzz on them coming into the year, then you've got a little bit more to work with. That could be interesting. As it stands right now, we're probably going to be closer to the high end on, on Brett Laurie. But his strikeout rate, yeah, we might be. But the the good news is that the price isn't big. So and that's the thing. Even when you're the, the high guy on him, the lowest. The price has got to be the lowest that's been on him. So you yeah. know he. In the second half last year, he had a 21% strikeout rate, which is a little bit closer to his career numbers and, and looks a little bit more like, like, he, like he would be. In the second half last year, he did a 162 ISO instead of that 136 in the first half. So in a lot of ways, you know, his overall line suffered for, because of um, you know, various uh, ways that we count WRC plus stuff. But I mean, from a fantasy standpoint, and his, and his Babbitt went down in the second half, but still... I'd take the added power and the fewer strikeouts and say that's a little bit of a good sign. All right, this last thing we're going to talk about, but it is going to take a while. Michael Allen Pelfrey was born January 14, 1984 <laughs> <laughs> at Wright Patterson Air Force Base in Ohio. He licked his fingers the moment he was out of the womb. The moment. And he got afterbirth on his fingers and was like, Hmm, that doesn't Ew. taste too bad. That was disgusting. We should end the podcast. That was it, weird. It, it was very weird that I said that. Yeah, but weird. you said he licked his fingers, so I just took it the extra step. Uh, no, we're not going to even. We're not even going to talk about it any further. He signed with my favorite team, and the the best hope that I could have is as a reliever. But from what I've heard, he hates the idea of relieving, so that's not even a thing. But Al Avila mentioned it, and so that's about the only scenario where I could get even uh, remotely interested at, at Mike Pelfrey being on my favorite team because I'm just not a fan. So let's just end it there. You know, we got a good almost two hours of content here. I hope everyone enjoys it. We'll be back again soon, uh, maybe sometime next week. Uh, we'll definitely get in at least one more before the, the holidays with, with you um, and one with Jason. So at least two more episodes, probably – well, we're two weeks away, probably closer to three episodes, two to three episodes at least before the holidays if we get the the uh, the right number of moves. Obviously, if there's no moves going on, we're not just going to come on and talk about nothing. But if the activity stays pretty, pretty solid, we'll be we'll be back a few more times before Christmas. Uh, otherwise, you know, great talking to you. Hope you had a good time in Nashville and uh, and I'll talk to you later. Air horn. I like us doing it better than actually having one. That's that is way better. <laughs> yeah, so take that, Kylie. You got your professional air horn. We've got we've got our no <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>